0: Get ready for harvest season. Be a new bee again. With cosmetic surgery, we offer a range of beauty options from wing augmentation, stinger sharpening, labrum shaping, proboscis lengthening, and maxilla and labial palp lifts and tucks. We also offer antennae extension, ocelli cleansing, and even a very discreet malphigian tubules reshaping service. We can tighten your preventriculus and help smooth out those thorax blemishes. Be as smooth as newborn larvae, fresh from the spawning cup. Make the queen notice you with Larval You Cosmetic Surgery. Welcome to Honey, I'm Home, the first Australian podcast for anyone who wants to get into beekeeping. My name is Jai Smith and joining me as always is Ben, the beekeeper jury. And today we're lucky enough to speak with Ros Gloag.
1: I'm a lecturer here at the University of Sydney. Uh, I work in the bee lab lab. you know, it's appropriately, it's, named, it's appropriately named. It's kind of an acronym for the Behaviour, Ecology and Evolution oh, Lab. Wow. Um, but it's a cheeky acronym because yeah. uh, almost everyone in the lab works on bees. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they call retro acronyms when that happens? Yeah, like, yes, yeah. that yeah. is very much what
1: we did. <laughs> we'd been kind of uh, colloquially calling ourselves the Bee Lab for a long time yeah, and we thought we shove some more meaning yeah, in there. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Um, and well, what's not to love about bees? I mean, uh, I guess I would call myself a like evolutionary ecologist or evolutionary biologist. So understanding, you know, why animals are the way they are and, uh, how they evolve, how populations change over time, you know, how we can predict those changes. And bees are a fantastic model for that. Um, they have an incredibly important ecological role. Uh, in you know not just Australian ecosystems but all over the world, yeah. And they're really quite tractable to work with a lot of the time. Right. I mean, um, you can, if you're working with honeybees, you know you can manipulate honeybee colonies. You can you can ask questions about how they change over time. And they've actually been the honeybee in particular, Apis mellifera, has been a kind of long-standing uh, genetic model system mm-hmm. as well. So here in the lab we do you know we do a lot of uh genetic work where we combine kind of the ecology of the bees with the underlying genetics and and that's an important way to understand how really? how populations evolve. Hmm. so fantastic model system as yeah. well as you know we I just love bees. <laughs> <laughs> and when did this
0: all start? like you mentioned off air that you know you really started in, Avery and with birds. Um, but.
1: Yeah, well, that's not entirely true. Um, <laughs> I did I did start in bees, actually. I did my undergrad here at the University of Sydney. Um, I did what we call an honours year. It's like, a you know, mm-hmm. at the end of your undergrad, a one-year uh, research project mm-hmm. uh, here in this lab, the bee lab. Wow. Um, and uh, Ben Aldroyd is the professor of this lab. He supervised me for that project. I worked on uh, Australian native stingless bees. And that really got me hooked. Um, so,
2: so, sorry, what, I know you're probably going to get there, but what what were you studying? What, what's the, the topic of your Oh, your, way back then,
1: um, it was so I worked on uh, trying to understand the um, causes of what People, stingless beekeepers tend to call fighting swarms. Yes. Right. Are you familiar with this? Yes, these? I am. I'm, I'm Anyone who has kept stingless bees for long enough will ha- have observed a fight. Just like a wh-
2: mess at the front of the beehive. Yeah, really? bees that are. Grasping each other to the death. Really? It's like this proper fight.
1: Yes, yeah. it's quite sad. People think stingless bees, oh, they don't have a sting, they must be pacifists. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, just they are. Uh,
0: fight with teeth.
1: Yeah, yeah. They uh, they really wrestle to the death and they really? they will um, just lock onto each other, usually in pairs, um, like a pit bull, and not let go until they die. And so it's really? almost. It's like
2: a mess. It was literally like a carpet of these. Wiggling bees and like really? wrestling with each other. I was, and I was just a little rest, bit worried. They're yeah. just wrestling. Yeah. They, well, they're well, kind
1: well, of wrestling to the death. Yeah. They're, they're locked onto each other with their mandibles. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. mean, um, it's quite like slow and yeah. distressing death. Um, I mean, so people is, it a, have been is it a
2: hive defensive? Is it? Is it to stop? Yeah. And so what to we
1: and, and others have worked on this since then, but um, you know, it's we're, not going, a we're going back ten <laughs> years ago now. Um, uh, when I first got involved, there were not as many people studying, uh, w- uh, sorry, keeping stingless bees at mm. that time. Um, but those who were were well aware of this phenomenon, mm. um, and there are a bunch of different theories about who was fighting, and what yeah. was going yeah. on. Um, but what we know now um, is that they are, but it's basically colony warfare. Huh. It's one colony attempting to usurp the uh, nest of another colony. We
2: like like your digs, get out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs)
1: Exactly, exactly. And to kind of understand why they do that, you need to know a bit about how um, stingless bees, uh, um, you know, produce new colonies. Right. Uh, And unlike honeybees, do you know how... You know, you guys will know how honeybees swarm. We've, so yeah, We've touched we've on, the touched on, that, we touch yeah, on swarming. Touched on swarming, okay. Right. Um, so you know how honeybees swarm, you know, the swarm is r- relatively independent, just goes off into yeah. the environment and finds a new nest Spreading site. Spreading
2: their genes away, they yeah. go. Yep.
1: Um, stingless bees, what they do, they find a new, some workers will find a new nest site and they then commit to provisioning that new nest site from the old nest oh. over a period of weeks or sometimes months or um, could be even longer. Uh, and they then kind of put in a new queen eventually and then they'll so, they'll yeah. eventually split off. So the kind of budding process is much more protracted and it needs to be relatively close to the parental nest because there's a lot of to right. and from. Uh, and because that's like quite a costly and slow way to produce a new nest, mm. they can kind of, cheat that huh. by kicking out just taking over somebody else's nest Game of
0: Thrones for yeah. these.
1: Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't it doesn't have the <laughs> same limitations. I mean, it's much faster for one mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to necessarily be that close to their own right. nest. Right. The easy um, get. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an easy steal. Um but again, cuz they don't sting, they basically do one-on-one fighting and what we think is it's just the biggest colony wins cuz they can afford to lose yeah. the most soldiers. A war of attrition. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so that that was what I worked on. Um, that was my first foray into science and into bee research and it was really fun. Yeah. Um, I worked with Tim Hurd up in Brisbane. That's where I did all my field work and uh, Tim is, of course, Australia's...
2: Uh, I've got a book of Tim's.
1: Yeah. I can say sounded familiar. Yeah. I was trying to flip back. Australia's, you know... Um, most authoritative voice on all things stingless bee and has been an amazing inspiration to mm. not just me, but many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did. But yes, then I, you know, I was young. I wanted to go overseas. So I did go overseas. I worked on birds for a bit and then I came back.
2: Fantastic. I wonder, um, I mean, you've already touched on a few of the things that, you know, are embedded in this question, but just for those of us that are sitting at home and listening that aren't quite aware of the role that bees play besides from producing honey and I know that you talked about stingless bees and obviously the honey they produce is on a different scale than European honeybees but what are the other roles that um you know our flying friends play in the environment and in the you know the ecosystem of you know the Australian backyard?
1: Yeah so the big one of course is pollinating uh plants so um that includes crop plants so things that we eat, Mm -hmm. um, but also, of course, a lot of our native flora. So, yeah, by pollination, of course, I'm just referring to, you know, moving pollen from one flower to another. That's how plants um, fertilize themselves uh, or get fertilized. And many plants depend on uh, insects as carriers of their pollen. So, uh, and bees are um, among the most dominant of all the, insect pollinators in in carrying out that role
0: there's a feeling right now um that that's been greatly overlooked you know from just you know joe public is there a reason why people don't you haven't respected bees for that long or or is um, it just a bit fashionable to love bees at the moment
1: (laughs) the bees are experiencing a bit of a a moment Mm, yeah yeah um, which i'm very happy about yeah yeah and but i think people have People have always loved honeybees because they give us honey, yep. people love honey. <laughs> mm. Um and you're right, I think people are starting to become more aware of how important they are as pollinators, and yeah. most of that has come from uh agriculture, to mm-hmm. be honest, and the you Crop know yields. recent yeah, recent kind of um anxieties about our dependence on bees to pollinate our agricultural crops and a kind of growing recognition that maybe should not be taking that for granted. Yeah. Um, and a lot of this came out of, uh, you know, in the past, yeah, 10 years or so, uh, what I guess you can describe as sort of pretty serious fluctuations in Population. global honeybee populations. Right. Yep. Australia has been relatively spared from that, I would say, um, but certainly in the US and uh, Europe, which also depend on Apis mellifera. Um,
2: so that that for you playing at home, Jai, do you remember what the Apis, Apis mellifera is the scientific name for?
0: No, and I can remember you taking it to the little kids too and I can, I can hear a <laughs> little voice. Honeybee. Oh, the European, yeah, mis-
1: yeah, European way, honeybee. Yeah. Sorry,
2: yeah, European <laughs> honeybee. Um, uh, so, so you were talking about that population decline and I know that this is something that has probably given rise to a lot of that attention- globally, um, and, you know, any attention is good attention in that space, I think the term that they used to describe the research that went into finding out what was going on with the the, the decrease was colony collapse disorder?
1: Yeah, so um, in the um, – well, this is my understanding of it um, at least, so I hope I'm not getting any details wrong. <laughs> but, um, yeah, really mostly started in the US and – and it came from beekeepers themselves uh, who, you know, alerted Noted, people yeah. that they were losing a lot more of their colonies than they had in the past. Yeah. And at the time it was not fully understood, understood what was causing that. It was given the term colony collapse disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of very talented people got involved mm-hmm. after that because it's a serious problem to try and understand what was going on. But I think now, a decade later, I would say the consensus is that um, it's not a single. Well, cause. maybe calling it a disorder is not is not wrong because there's not a single cause. Yeah. Sadly, because then then it. there might be a simple fix, but it's actually an annoying confluence of mm. factors mm. Um, that are not so different to the things that are affecting other wildlife. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they are. You know, just all the usual suspects. Yeah. So, um, you know, intensive agricultural practices. You know, the use of certain pesticides. The changing climate. Yeah. Um,
2: the yeah. the lack of nutrition in pollen. The lack of,
1: yeah. 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 You know, a whole bunch of things mm. that are all um, interacting stresses on honeybee colonies. Yeah. Uh, I wonder.
2: Um. So, and when those studies have been, uh, you know extrapolated over the last 10 years that they've always been on the european honeybees there been any uh data around the native bee populations here in new south wales um that have mirrored any of that or like you said australia was somewhat sheltered from the the, the grave numbers from america or
1: yeah so uh so that There is increasing interest in Australia in our native bees and we have an amazing, diverse, fantastic native bee fauna. Um, But I I would say it's also come out of Europe and the US, um, which did experience the most panic over their um, Mm -hmm. honeybee populations. Uh, They have a lot of native bees too. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also started recognising that native bees were already performing an important role in in particular we're talking about uh, Pro- pollinating of crops, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that we should be keeping an eye out on what is happening to them and or, you know, uh, trying to shift the um, dominance of honeybees and balance things a little right. bit more so that if honeybees have a bad year or a bad few years but, that there's yeah. a healthy population of other bees in the ecosystem which pick up the slack. Hmm. Um, from a
0: and, and those, you know, the, those major differences. Uh, and again, you know, just kind of taking back to basics. What are the major differences between the the stingless and natives and
2: and the European honeybee? Big question, <laughs> <laughs> but just a couple. Yeah, <laughs> top, um, top five so, size, <laughs> tiny. Yeah, yeah, that is small.
1: So if we just start with um, with honeybees versus stingless bees. Yep. So they actually have some important similarities, which is that they're both. Uh, highly eusocial bees, which means they live in a colony. Mm-hmm. They have a single reproductive female, the queen, and then these uh, hundreds to thousands of, you know, functionally Web. sterile female Web. workers. Uh, and, um, they, you know, the workers run out collecting pollen. They have large numbers of brood in the colony at any one time and the colonies are perennial. You know, they go on and on continuously through summer and winter and so on. Um, differences, they, uh, well, actually sticking with similarities, um, in terms of their, uh, potential to pollinate, mm-hmm. uh, they both have quite, um, important characteristics, which we consider from a human perspective to make them good pollinators. And that's that they're, they're both extreme generalists. So they're quite happy to forage on right. lots of different things. But they also um, exhibit kind of floral constancy, so they'll tend to go back to, you know, they kind of get temporarily um, hooked on one plant and they'll they'll forage on that for a period of time, and that means they're likely to pollinate, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you think of the plant's perspective, um, it doesn't really want an insect that is exactly such a generalist that it goes to, you know, imagine imagine you're like little um, veggie garden in your backyard. If you've got a bee that goes to pumpkin and then goes to zucchini and then goes to beans, that's not pollinating any of those plants.
2: Pollen's not getting to the right Yeah,
0: you want a certain kind of monogamy in your bees. (laughs) You You, you don't want want one-night stand bees.
1: But you also don't want to be the only foragers on pumpkin because then you're going to have – Tons a lot of, of different yeah. <laughs> no yeah. So both honeybees and stingless bees, they're in that sweet spot. They yeah. will, you know, they get a taste for pumpkin and they'll forage on that for a bit. Yeah. Um, and di- But different bees within a colony will be yep. foraging on different things. So, you know, from our perspective, really great pollinators. Awesome. Um, they have important differences as well. I mean, honeybees obviously are much larger. Stingless bees, for those who don't know, they're only – Four to five millimeters. Yeah, long I, I'll I
0: will put a photo up because I didn't. I didn't realize quite how different. I remember seeing them in your hives, but that was about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. If you're not fa- not familiar with them, you might mistake them as flies on your flowers. They're right, really, really quite really small. small. Yeah. Um, Frankie's so the only were... one that's got
2: the eyesight that can see them in my backyard. He finds the bee, and then we all go and try and you know. Frankie, Frankie's, Frankie's two and almost easy. two oh, right, year old, and yeah. Yeah. generally <laughs> nude
1: while he's <laughs> running
0: around looking at the bees, which uh, always worries me.
1: Uh, Well, I actually took great great pride in my five-year-old recently when he saw a picture of a bee in a book and it was like your standard like black and white stripy bee and he said, Mummy, I thought bees were black. I said, yes, they are. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have only stingless bees in the backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Sorry, does the size
0: impact? So, remember you saying before that the 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 native stingless won't travel as far to pollinate. Is that and is that due to their size?
1: That is largely size, yes. Yeah. Or so size. The t- uh, typical foraging range for honeybees can be um, you know several kilometers, yeah. exactly, um, right. or more if yeah. they need to. And uh, the stingless, payoff, yeah. yeah, the stingless bees we tend to think prefer to forage within kind of. Five hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, and
2: and I was using that as an example of how important it was for the placement of a stingless bee hive in like a backyard, making sure that they had an adequate range of uh, sources to to collect their nutrition and um, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean they they can certainly go further than that, uh, and they probably do when they have to. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah. The, the foraging range of a bee is pretty uh, strongly correlated to their yeah. size. Okay. okay. Um, and other differences, well, yeah, I guess in terms of their reproductive biology and things. So from my my scientific perspective, they have quite a lot of important differences. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't impact necessarily on the, on their ability to pollinate and so forth. Yeah. From a pollinator perspective, the major difference, I guess, is their size.
2: The and, and, just going on that that track there, uh, the native bee, the stingless one that we're talking about, also known as the sugar bag bee, um, I'm really hopeless at pronunciating scientific terms. What's the 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 correct way of saying? Is it tetragonula carbon something or other? You also yeah. did say pronunciate. <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll yeah, see. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I would say tetragonula carbonaria. There you go. Yeah. Sounds like a pasta. It does yeah. sound like a pasta, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, so,
2: and and what I was getting at with that, besides from tripping up on my words, <laughs> was, um, is it true in, you know, their native uh, habitat, their environment isn't prone to the cooler climates like the European honeybee would be?
1: Oh, yes. Sorry. That is a very important, important point. Yeah. If, um, yeah, because as you may be aware, there's quite a lot of interest now in using Australian native stingless bees as managed pollinators mm. so not unlike what we do um, to some extent with honeybees although crop pollination in Australia also depends a lot on just feral honeybees yeah mm. um, and yes in terms of stingless bees then certainly that has potential but we're very much only talking about uh, the tropical regions of Australia because right. stingless bees do not really occur much further south than Sydney oh, yeah. so they have a their range extends just very narrowly down the coast so right. kind of south coast New South Wales, but um yes they are they are never going to be pollinating the kind of crops that we grow in the more temperate regions of australia
2: and that's and I guess that's to do with the fact that you know the the crops that we are growing there aren't necessarily naturally occurring crops either so the um, there are other pollinators down there there are other native bees that exist down there just not. The social type? Is that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So we can move on now. So we've got our um, stingless bees, and they're the only, as you say, native uh, social, well, highly eusocial bees. Okay. There are other bees which sit um, in a category which you might call semi social, mm-hmm. in that they do have some, you know, they tend to aggregate in. Uh, families or the you know daughters might hang around with their mothers in a nest for a period of time, but nothing like the very highly social bees with a queen. Yeah. Um. So that category of highly social bees, in terms of native bees in Australia, is just the stingless bees, and there are fifteen species or so of them, and right. they all um they all look very similar. Some of them are actually very cryptic, and they all occur in the in the tropics. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um. But Australia has, you know, sixteen, seventeen hundred 1,700 wow. other species of really? native bees. And those are, are largely solitary bees. So that is they live a life like any other insect. Mm-hmm. Um
0: just by themselves.
1: Just by themselves, yep. Where
0: what do, do they, do they, they think? think? Where what do they do? Like so they just poll- <laughs> purely pollinate.
1: Uh, well they still you know, they're still a bee, which means that they <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't want to strip the bee identity from this.
1: If you if it, what makes a bee a bee, part of it is that they feed on nectar. Yep. And they feed their young pollen. Mm-hmm. So uh if it's a bee, it can still pollinate. Yep. Um and there are many plants which will invest in attracting bees. They don't care whether it's a social bee mm. or a solitary bee. Uh, you know, but they don't live in this Complicated um, social nest. nest. Where do they live? Well, a female um, will make a nest at some point Mm -hmm. to raise her offspring. Um, Although often, you know, raising the offspring just involves provisioning, um, you know, getting a big ball of pollen Mm. and putting it in the nest and laying an egg on top of it and then sealing the nest. You're on your own. And then leaving. Yeah, yeah. So um, that would be a fairly typical... A solitary bee nest, um, that's it. They live their life. Yeah. They feed themselves for a period of time and then the females will make a nest, lay an egg.
0: I had no idea that that would even be a, be a thing. It, yeah, yeah, it's really it, fascinating.
2: Probably doesn't get as much traction because yeah. as a person looking to have you know a, a hive, hive of bees, yeah. there's a little bit more of a payoff in um, you know having a, a location where they come back mm. and um, you can get the – the produce out of them, the honey. But um, it's interesting to say that because there's still a fair bit of attention given to, you know, those pollinator houses, which do attract those solitary um, native bee species. And we've got one as well in our backyard, you know, the one with all the different pipes and the tubes.
0: Right.
2: There's one, um, I think I tried to point it out when we were going through the garden, there was, you know, some of these are quite intricate bees and look, you know, although there's a lot of similarities with the European honeybee, are, are quite different. One of them being like a blue banded bee. Um, we we tend to get a fair bit of them in our garden, and um, it's always exciting to to find the blue bees. Um, are there any other you know native bees that you know people might find you know interesting and unusual to keep an eye out for in their garden in their backyard? Ah, well, um,
1: all of our native bees. <laughs> okay.
2: So. What about what the big about one? There's a really big one. one yeah? yeah,
1: there are a few. Yeah, the big ones. Um, the big ones are often people's favourites. Yeah. And among the <laughs> <laughs> among the larger bees that we have are the carpenter bees. Okay. And you can see these even in some parts of Sydney. Um, they so the uh, peacock carpenter bee, for example. Um, I think it has a range up into Queensland as well. Yeah. And very uh, beautiful, bluey-green, iridescent, you know, um, quite large, I'm going to say one and a half centimetres. um, uh, Carpenter bee because it is capable of making its own nest hole.
2: Out of wood?
1: Yeah, into wood. (laughs) Into wood. Yeah, exactly. So this one you don't need. Sorry, I was googling it there. yeah, Yeah, so they won't... If you've got a bee hotel, like you mentioned, yeah. often those are because a lot of our native bees, you, they need to find a hole that already exists. Right. Yeah. Um, but carpenter bees can make their own hole. Yeah. Oh wow. And they might use, for example, the the dead stem of a um, grass tree or something, yeah. or you know, another kind of soft wood tree. And I have heard that you can attract them into your garden if you put the right kind of soft wood. Um, really. Yes, but I have no experience with that. But
2: mm. I just um, brought up a blue banded bee as well. I really they're massive. See so see how this one's hanging out. This photo I'm sure Joel put up. I've often gone out of an evening and seen a mass. When I say a mass, you know, maybe half a dozen to to ten kind of hanging on stems. Are they are they chilling out and resting or, or uh-huh. like? Ah, uh, we-
1: yep, that's they exactly they overnight or sleep yeah. like that. Often they're the males um, that kind of hanging out. Yeah, hang out together like that uh, because in some cases the females will have a nest that they can go to mm-hmm. but males are not invited in. And um... yeah,
2: <laughs> Are they also called drones? Are they, they referred? Is that yeah, a term that's, that's a, used? Yeah,
1: uh, that's controversial oh, because right. <laughs> 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 my view is that um, only male apis okay, are right. drones. Okay, right. Yes. Because
0: they perform that function. <laughs> yeah. You know you know, <laughs> the came, came the out problem. a lot darker yeah. than I think. <laughs>
1: Um, but lots of people call all-male bees drones. Yeah, Yeah, so I Um, think you can go either
0: way. What would be your advice for anyone just looking at getting into beekeeping? Like what's what's your one message you'd want them to take home?
1: Uh, To not be frightened of bees, yeah. I mean maybe the kind of person who's interested in beekeeping already is not, Mm. but um, I'm always amazed now. The more of my life I've spent with bees and I guess it's honeybees in particular, people Mm. are irrationally frightened of, they are really very gentle. Mm. Um, And I think people, although I I mentioned to you guys before we turned on the mics that I don't like being stung in the face, which is true. (laughs) It's very (laughs) sensible. Which is is more than fine. (laughs) Um, But in general that you, you know, you can work with bees and that it's enjoyable and they're... You know, they're not out to get you. If a bee flies into your house, you know, you don't have to kill it. Yeah, I <laughs> <You laughs> um, really lot.
0: see people's yeah. first impressions of bees when a single bee is near anyone. Like yeah. it, it really panics people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was it was fun, like when the, cause I, Ben's hives were the first ones I went and, you know, were, were up close and personal with. And it's amazing how different that felt. Mm. Like I was in shorts and a T-shirt and yeah. bare feet and had a microphone to put under the hive and that felt more safe than I've probably reacted in the past
2: when they're out in the yeah. garden, yeah,
0: which is really really yeah. strange difference. There's tens yeah, of thirty
2: thousand bees there, yeah, yeah. but we're, yeah. Cool, we're cool with you yeah. thirty thousand in the box. <laughs> but when I see you out on that, you know that nasturtium plant, watch out! No.
1: Yeah, I mean they are, you know, they're the vegetarians of the insect yeah. world. They are they are just there to collect pollen and nectar, and and you have you have to be really messing with them for them to to get upset. Mostly, mm. yeah. Um, there are exceptions, like some bees in. Some honeybee uh, subspecies in Africa, and there are people in the lab who could tell you about them. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, I think they're, Africanized. They're yeah. generally very aggressive. Yeah. Um, I think that's but where the they start. Yeah, <laughs> they've that's adapted when the pain to scars a different stuff. climate. Yeah, yeah. And different ecosystem. But um, here in Australia, if you're keeping bees, honeybees, certainly stingless bees, obviously, yeah. yeah, that they're gentle. And I guess I would also say that they're a fantastic gateway into loving insects yeah. generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic. And certainly for children, but adults i mean they mm. you can get hooked on bees and i guarantee with, before long you'll be wanting to know what all the insects in your garden are <laughs>
0: yeah yep fantastic well we like to finish every podcast episode with a terrible joke because there are <laughs> plenty of bee jokes out there uh what is america's favorite type of bee
1: oh god um yeah I mean,
2: this one i don't know this one <laughs> a usb bee <laughs>
1: Yeah, was oh, that was really bad <laughs>
0: when I found that one I'm like oh, that's a pretty yeah. bad one look thank you so much for that look I've learned a lot and Ben I don't know about you but that was oh absolutely was
2: fantastic. I'm so grateful for your time it's yeah. been um, a, a, a really nice.
0: lot really thanks for listening please support the show by rating us on your podcast app subscribing and sharing with a friend to get honey hives or your hive serviced contact Benjamin Jury on Instagram at the humble hive collective special thanks to rob peters for the creative voiceover and sound design on our special edition episode ads find out more about rob by visiting robpeters.org artwork by gene heaton podcast produced by me jai smith who you can find at jai smith on instagram and twitter or connect with us on facebook at your good get better the home for all our creative work